I'm Rob. And I'm Marty. And welcome to Trades Planning, a podcast that tries to make sense of international trade, business, and expat life without putting it to sleep. On episode 51, we'll talk about AI, which is finally coming for some jobs, but of course, definitely not mine. Or some of the initial ways that climate change and other recent developments are actually changing trade. So maybe we've been talking about stuff over these past few years for a reason. Let's see. The U.S.'s recent downgrade, whoops, and of course, Switzerland's attack cows. And later we'll talk to Andre Schneider, CEO of Geneva Airport, about how to make an airport more sustainable, whether International Geneva is playing its role fully. He's also formerly of the WEF. And he also confirms that the best kebabs in town are, wait for it. You'll have to listen. You'll have to listen. Tune in to find out more. (laughs) And we'll throw in a few points on listener feedback and sneak in a news roundup. And of course, a few jokes. So let's get into it. Without further ado. Without further ado. Thank you, Mom. Thanks, Ma. Well, everybody, welcome to episode 51. So I guess listeners will be happy to know that 51 is the atomic number of antimony. I don't know what that is, but actually I do know what it is because it's right here. Antimony compounds have been known since ancient times for use as medicine and cosmetics, often known by the Arabic name coal. I think that's a store in the US, but there's multiple ones. It's coals. The largest applications are for soldiers, bullets, and plane bearings. That sounds like a Garth Brooks song or some country singer song. This is the opposite of what you pay after divorce, no? Antimony, alimony, antimony. (laughs) That was what I was looking for. I don't know if it was the brain drama because I've removed that word from my head. (laughs) Anyway, as always, I have to remind everybody, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to make sure you catch our future episodes, which are coming out. Better yet, you can also share it with a friend or stranger. You can find us anywhere you get your podcasts, so please do subscribe to all of them. And why not leave us a review? This is another special episode, so 50 was a big number. 51 is, is a less important number, but it's a big number because we have some interesting news. So one, we are recording, I think, one of the few, if not only, episodes remotely. So Rob is recording this remotely from his beautiful studio in the Indian subcontinent as we speak. I am in the cushy former Tradesplaining Studios, and Michelle is recording live, you'll hear her segment later on, from a parade somewhere in Western Europe. Hey, Artie, I understand we have a new listener. That is a big news. This is a new member of the team, unpaid, as the rest of us. As of August 11th, we have another Malvichiri. That's true. And funnily enough, he's related to me. He is my son, as you said. As of August 11th, so Leah Malvichiri was born. And he'll be sure to be listening to Tradesplaining because he'll have no choice for the next 18 years at least. So he was born healthy, he's recovering with his mom, and we've already got him started to catch up on the 51 episodes of Tradesplaining as we speak. So he'll be well-versed by the time episode 6000 comes out on his 18th birthday. And we can test some of the effects. Listeners have told us, one in particular, that it lessened tooth pain. Mm. So when he is teething, maybe you can put the earphones on him and play some of the early episodes. I mean, I've been playing it nonstop in the hospital room for the past three, four days, and um, he hasn't stopped crying. So I don't know if that's a good sign or not. (laughs) I'm just joking. I'm just joking before the child rights listeners start phoning in. I did not do that. My wife. Yes, exactly. You can't treat a baby this way. (laughs) (laughs) Have you seen Zero Dark Thirty? It's like that. But if you replace the heavy metal music with just my voice and your voice (laughs) talking about trade. Anyway, 51 episodes later, TS is still standing with one new listener, as Rob mentioned, and I expanded on. Now we've got those important things out of the way. What about yacht desking? 
I've heard that apparently this is a thing. I know this is something that you are keen to try. So not we've heard about working from home and hot desking. Now there is a thing that mostly rich people are doing. It's called working from your yacht while looking like John F. Kennedy. Yeah, I think what perhaps we need to explore even further is that the Financial Times thought they needed to generate a guide to yacht desking. So it's obviously something their readers seem to be doing a lot. So they provided uh, some great advice on which headphones to use, which kind of devices you need to get sea-bound internet. And there's a principal benefit of working from a yacht. You might guess, what could that be? The answer you're is... You're on a boat, you're not working. <laughs> you're on a yacht. That's the thing. That, so that, I, I thought it was an Onion article as I was reading it. I was like, this can't be real. <laughs> Satire is becoming real life. But that's neither here nor there. We also I did have one review already. This was a more of an informal review. Somebody was saying he was really enjoying the podcast. He'd been listening. He said, we were great. And he said, and Artie, I didn't know Artie was so smart. So I wanted to pass that on to you. That this is like the opposite of a humble brag. This is like a <laughs> side swipe. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> thank you to the listener. And also, I hate you. I don't know, I don't know yeah. how I feel about that. I feel hurt. I'm yeah. on a high now because my son has just been born a few days ago. I'm recording this podcast and I open up emotionally to you and to the listeners. And what do you do? You jab. You jab and then this <laughs> follows it up with a right hook, like a smug right hook. I'll take it though. I'll take any compliment. Yes, yeah, we're taking it. We're taking it. We're truth. taking it. So, so thank you, dear listener. Thank you, dear listener. Yes. <laughs> I'll t I'm not going to be able to reveal who gave me that feedback. You're going to tell me offline and then that it's person will magically fall off a Russian hospital building. Yes. <laughs> I think we better get to the news roundup. This is getting uh, hot. Jumping into the important news stories this episode. So I have been a little busy these last couple of days, but that does not mean I have not been following the news while I've been awake coddling children. So first story up is everybody's favorite, which listeners will know very, very well because we talk about it quite a lot. And that is climate change and its friends seem to be changing the way the trade Get, get it? Do you get that pun? Climate change is changing got things. It. I got it. They're changing trade in ways that things are increasingly visible. So we've talked about climate change specifically before, but now we're seeing a mixture over the past three years, especially a mixture of climate change, automation, or AI, to use that term loosely, Brexit, things like the IRA Act, and especially the trade war with China, and the actual war going on in Ukraine are changing trade, as I said, in visible ways. So this is also changing things in ways that the statistics have not caught up with yet, but which we can see with our own eyes are happening and are sort of settling in in ways that we seem to be getting more accustomed to. So now things like trade wars have just been the norm. Whereas four years ago, if you talked about this, this was like the hot new topic, kind of like AI and Bitcoin. But now it seems to be staying. So I, we've been talking about some big fragmentation of global trade. We've been talking about Brexit. We've been talking about climate change. So there was some really interesting reporting over the past few weeks on measuring and actually identifying concrete ways this is changing trade. So as an example, for instance, we were talking about how oh, the trade war has not brought down US-China trade. In fact, now it has. So we're talking about 100 or more billion dollars less in imports from China. And that means that the sourcing patterns have changed. And there was a great story in Bloomberg about, for instance, much more truck traffic across the US-Mexico border. So there's a lot of things coming. And uh, I would say higher technology, higher value kinds of things. We know about electric vehicles. We know about semiconductor stuff. We know about various things that are coming in. So that's really actually now happening. I guess it's not delinking, but it's, what we say, de-risking, a little bit reduction of exposure. Interesting things about Brexit, 
how is it changing things? We've talked a lot about, made a lot of jokes about lack of vegetables, fish going bad, and so on. But there's an they interesting were funny. one. Sir, we're, they were, they were funny. <laughs> we wrote them. We wrote them. They were hilarious. But interesting story about how the fact that since the UK was breaking away from Europe, UK universities were a huge pull to European students. So the UK basically softened their visa requirements and they're bringing in students from elsewhere. It's an interesting story about students from Namibia, for instance. So I think that's a really a positive change for many countries. And it's helping them compete on the global stage with places like the US where it's getting more difficult. And foreign students are a big, big source of let's say, profits of revenue of economic activity. But then in terms of the climate side, I mean, we do see effects now on the way companies are able to operate. So manufacturing companies are having to slow or stop production during hot periods. We see that in terms of logistics, we know that European rivers, the Rhine, for instance, or the Danube, these are getting too low to navigate frequently. So they have to think of alternatives. And we see also that any kind of work outside anything, so agriculture, construction, these, they're going to have to change a little bit the rhythm of the way they work as well. So as we say, business finds a way. So they are finding a way, but it's really modifying things. Yeah, it's true. The one thing from a lot of these similar news articles I've seen most recently, and this is bringing it back home, in Geneva, so a lot of historically, the banking quarter has been in the city center of Geneva, if you can call it a city center, but you know what I mean. And a lot of these banks seem to be leaving the city center in recent years and most of them, uh, if you take them at face value, have been citing sustainability issues. So it's basically too expensive to retrofit these older buildings that they're in, which are beautiful, but difficult to retrofit because of the laws currently in place to meet sustainability standards and emissions and things like that. So they're actually moving to other parts of Disney, but basically dispersing. So Lombard Rodier is moving to a beautiful building by the lake, and they're putting all of their employees there, and it's at least 20 minutes from Geneva City Center. Piquet, who is most people's idea when you think of a Swiss bank, their photo is there in the dictionary. They've, for a number of years, have been outside the city center, and when they did that, everybody sort of raised, raised eyebrows. Not so much anymore. Uh, UBS has done it recently as well. They moved out to the outskirts of Geneva and sort of like the new quarter. It's a bit more modern. And banks continue to do this. The list goes on and on. BNP recently announced it doing the same thing, leaving the city center. For me, it raises a really interesting question. So on one hand, it's a good reason saying we need to be more uh, environmentally sustainable, make sure get our, we get our emissions in order, things like that. And we are sort of doing our part. I'm saying this in, in quotes. On that hand, it's interesting. But then the short-term dislocation of economically speaking, and maybe culturally as well, to a city like Geneva, where banking is synonymous in many ways. The short-term dislocation of banks leaving that area raises a lot of questions, and I think questions that most people can't answer. So it's what is going to happen to that area in the next couple of years? Will it be sort of downtown San Francisco? And if you don't know, it's not great at the moment. What Geneva does to recompensate for this sort of sucking sound that you hear outside the city center, what they do to compensate for that will be interesting to watch. I think maybe the uncertainty makes it a bit more scary. It could be that the Swiss do what they always do and find a way, to quote Jeff Goldblum. But I think it's an interesting tiny example of how climate change, or just one of the things that we talked about among AI and others, are forcing us to rethink how we sort of conduct commerce and also having unforeseen consequences to cities, cultures, things like that, not just on an economic scale, but also in a more social context as well. That for me was super interesting. Yeah. And that situation of office buildings, whether they need retrofitting or whether their occupancy is low is going to be global. We've talked about that. So there's probably many, many trillions this, of dollars locked up in these buildings. You know, it would work well probably if you had like a 
co-located office sharing space where everybody just did drugs and got high. Oh, wait, that's a WeWork joke. That's a WeWork joke. <laughs> they're going out of business, WeWork. They just had to make an announcement that they may not make it for the rest of the year. So, But they still exist, which is really heartening. Well, it's not fair because the first guy through the door always gets shot. That's why the presidents have like the fake presidents walk through just in case. So they were a few years too early. But maybe now is a good time to start up that shared office space company, minus the drugs and the incompetence. Moderate drugs and incompetence. The other thing that was interesting that you really put it succinctly in how all these things coming together, but because I want to make this clickbaity, but AI for me was also an interesting one to look at. Particularly in the US now, you've seen there was a writer strike, which the actors have now recently joined in against the studios with their fighting, not just for increased pay, and they're actually fighting for now not to not have AI replace them because they not have technology take their jobs. This is a story we saw play out, I guess, 30 years ago. Or when I say we, I mean other people because I was in diapers, <laughs> but it's an editorial we. But we saw this play out with blue collar workers, especially in the US and other areas as well. And people's response, at least in newspapers, you know, this tended to be sort of, yeah, something, something retraining. You'll figure it out. Trade finds a way. It's good on the whole. But, mm. you know, here's some money and just try not to get an opioid addiction and we'll figure it out type of thing. Now you're seeing the same thing play out, but in the services sector. And this, I think, for me, gets really interesting because these are the more high-paying white-collar jobs, if you can put it that way. I don't know how this will work out, but I find it incredibly interesting that an industry which you don't, most of us would not associate with technology replacing the jobs now seems to be at risk of having that very same thing happen. I've also read, for instance, that stuntmen are quickly going to be replaced because, of course, these can be simulated. And I think you mean Vin Diesel did not drive the car into space yeah, exactly. in, the, in the Fast and the Furious 18. So, so the, yeah, apparently these things can be done on computers, but also the coverage, I think, of this strike. It's really interesting so that the question is, when and do you try to negotiate these things at what time and when do you have leverage? So that we saw interesting coverage that the UPS drivers just went through a similar kind of negotiation. They had, let's say, reasonable demands. They got a raise. But also they were negotiating also not being replaced by driverless trucks. And we know we've been talking on this program that there's a lack of drivers. That there's a huge demand for drivers and there's a huge demand for freight hauling. So that in a way they had the leverage. What to the coverage indicates now is, in fact, the studios are under a lot of pressure from big tech. And we know script writing, you know, you can just put in chat, GPT, give me a script, make it a little bit like 27 dresses meets 2001, a space odyssey. I don't know and what you just that, said, but you just made those things up. You just put some like <laughs> things together. It sounds like chat GPT, actually. You take a couple of elements, mix them up and something comes out. It's like Exactly. A, You'll get a script. Like You'll get a script. You know, give me a romantic comedy of one hour and 58 minutes. And so there's that, but also the fact that the studios are not in a position of strength because big tech is sort of starting to chomp all different industries. And the studios are really, you know, we read a, a good piece by uh, Scott Galloway, which is saying the studios are really capital allocators. They don't do any acting. They don't do any writing. They don't do any filming. They just allocate capital to ideas they think will be eventually profitable. And big tech, of course, has infinite amounts of capital, infinite amounts of money, and also brings with them these kind of AI things that will begin to replace things like screenwriters and so on. So I think we'll see this one and we'll see increasingly more labor trying to negotiate these ways that they won't be replaced. And I don't think we have great hopes in this case for scriptwriters. And that luckily we don't have scriptwriters for this thing. As you can no. tell, we don't. No, it's off the cuff. And that's why improv will always trump AI because 
AI can't think of this stuff on the cuff like we are doing right now. For example, how in Switzerland, self-driving pods could be a thing when they're transporting freight underground, and this might be a blow to the road transport industry. So Switzerland is talking about, not talking about it, but they're actually installing self-driving pods that will go under the ground and transport freight relatively quickly across Switzerland, so negating the need for as many trucks And so this poses a threat to truck drivers. So we had Umberto De Preto from the IRU on talk about why road transport is important. Ostensibly it is, but what happens when countries like Switzerland and others install more of these things so where literally you don't need a driver to take your freight from point A to point B, but rather you just put it in an underground pod, like in, I don't know, Blade Runner or something like that. Yeah, I was going to say, again, it's going to be different in every context, but this is a great one for Switzerland because, of course, transport has always been a challenge. This is why there are tunnels. This is why they already do stuff underground. And, uh, you know, Switzerland being also high cost and in between a lot of big markets, you could see where the money would come from uh, to do something like this. And in a shortage, in a situation where we're short of truck drivers and we're thinking about carbon and all sorts of good things, you could see why AI might be brought to this. I think when they'll really sort of take off on this when they figure out how to reduce the number of annoying cyclists. And I think that's where really Switzerland will be number one. <laughs> that's where they'll get my vote. Less bikes on the road, more freight underground. Just transport yeah. the cyclists underground. I don't have to see them cutting me off that's on a red light. Fantastic. Yeah. This, I think, is the main thing that's really facing the... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Come fly with me. Let's fly. Let's fly away. Andre Schneider started his professional career as a musician in major classical orchestras before beginning his first experience in the professional world, or a different professional world, leading IBM's IT consulting practice here in Geneva. He then joined the World Economic Forum and was instrumental during his 12 years in creating the leading global multi-stakeholder platform and helping expand its model around the world. Kind of like tradesplaning. Also, my old job. <laughs> With his advisory work, Andre has been developing projects around many important issues in sustainable development. After his prior experience, he joined EPFL, the university here in Lausanne, as vice president for resources and infrastructure. And in September 2016, he joined the Geneva Airport as its new CEO. Andre is also the chairman of the Innovation Board of the Aviation Research Center, Switzerland, chairman of the World Climate Foundation, and vice chairman, so this one didn't quite get the chairman on, of the Global Infrastructure Basel. And of course, a member of the board of ACI Europe. Andre's a busy guy. This interview with Andre was recorded a few weeks ago separately, so you may notice a slight difference in sound quality. Or not. If you don't, then just forget you heard this. Andre, thanks for joining us on the on the podcast. So as an avid listener, you probably know how this goes. Why don't we start off by having you tell us a little bit about your, your story? How did you end up where you are now? Okay, I'm half Swiss German, half German. I've lived in the Swiss German part in Switzerland, close to the Bodensee for my first six years and then the rest of the time until 19 in Bern. And frankly, I still ask myself the question how I have ended up here, where I have ended up because I had a quite tortuous past. So I started as a professional musician. I studied in Germany. I had the chance to play with some real big orchestras. And then I got kind of fed up with it. I studied computer science, made a PhD at the CERN, which is the nuclear research facility. Uh, then I worked for IBM. I went to the World Economic Forum, where I was managing director for several years. And then I needed a timeout. So I created my own company to do consulting in sustainable development. And then I joined the APFL, which is one of the leading engineering schools in Switzerland as a vice president. 
to do a little bit the COO job, which is finances, people, infrastructures, and so on. And then I was headhunted to come to the airport. So frankly, you would have to ask the headhunter why they actually got after me. <laughs> so, and you were in charge of the airport in Geneva, which is a huge engine yeah. of economic growth here, also can be an engine of discussion. As you were telling us earlier, also an engine of you getting a lot of unsolicited advice. <laughs> but yeah. so what we're seeing in terms of air travel is we see European countries like France are starting to live limit air travel for climate reasons. And we've even seen similar proposals about Geneva, even that could reduce air traffic up to 50%. So we know in your career, you've also done a lot in terms of climate and aviation. So what do you think is the right balance that can allow air traffic? I mean, it's not zero, we know that, that could allow air traffic to still play its part, but also somehow help us on the climate side. I think we first need to get a little bit to a factual basis and debunk some of those urban legions. I mean, first of all, France has passed now this law. It reduces by three connections, and it will reduce by 0.23% the CO2 emissions of the internal flights. And frankly, the 50% here was an estimate made by our opponents. And if you read the report, they say they choose every destination where there was a rail, even if there's no train. And in France, actually, they limit only for destinations below two and a half hours in train. If we apply the same rule, we have no destinations from here, which is below two and a half hours. If I go even further, I would really look at the destinations below five hours. I do have three. I have Zurich, I have Paris-Charles-de-Gaulle and Paris-Orly. Now you have to know Paris-Charles-de-Gaulle and Paris-Zurich and are actually hubs, yep. which means people fly there to fly somewhere else. So if you would discontinue this connection, they would just fly through another hub which is a little bit further away. So they would go to the London Heathrow Amsterdam, or Frankfurt. Yeah. And, so, and if I still calculate what is in these flights, destination flights, meaning people going to those three destinations, I'm below 3.5%. So if ever a government should decide not to allow them anymore, I would say that has zero impact on us. And I think today we were living in a globalized world, if we like it or not. And you cannot go from Geneva to New York in a decent way if there's not a flight. So I think the issue is not to disallow flying, it's to decarbonize flying. Meaning this is a necessary way of transport, not for short distances, which I totally agree. But as I've proven or shown, this is not really an issue for Geneva. But really to say we need to really work on that to reach the Paris goals, which means flying in 2050 with zero CO2 emissions. So just on the amount of air travel, so I hear you, you know, decarbonized air travel sounds great. I'm 100% with you. I travel by air a lot, so I wouldn't be an example of somebody who's decarbonizing the world through my lack of air travel. But are you saying we should have exactly the same amount of air travel between now and 2050 and gradually decarbonize? Because it seems, you know, let's say viscerally, it seems more urgent than that. It seems we could also make decisions about flying less just on why do we need to go places. So is it the same amount of flying or is it less flying? Look, first of all, an airport is here to provide the infrastructure to allow flying. We're not selling tickets and it's we're true, not... Yeah being paid better to sell tickets. Now, it's absolutely clear. We need to, in all domains, think about what's the impact of whatever we decide. Because just a little recall, globally in the world, aviation represents 5% of the CO2 emissions. Now, in Switzerland, it's probably the double, but still less than, for example, driving with your car to the mountains. So clearly, we need to go for decisions which are much more climate, how you say, compatible. But what I'm saying is for those Trip. Let's take, for example, we have a big Portuguese diaspora here in Geneva. 
if you take the train or the car, it's an over 24-hour ride. Yeah. So you will not be able to impose on those people if they want to go home and see their families that you're going to take now 24 hours. So yes, we have to stop wanting to travel every weekend. I totally agree. By the way, I don't travel every weekend in the plane. But we also need to, for those who need it, and this will not go away, except we give up the concept that we're living in a globalized world and we want to go to other places or we want to go home to see our families and friends. We need to still offer something and decarbonize it. I'm not going to go to the mountains this weekend. Neither am I. Is this a good time for me to talk about my skiing accident? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and as you say, I mean, I think what we've seen in my work in trade is that during the pandemic, we tried without flying. We tried without being in person, closing deals, and it was much more difficult. So there's a human factor in trade that we found difficult to replace with Zoom calls, difficult to replace with, with hybrid. Yeah. I mean, we made an inquiry with the biggest institution in Geneva and so on. It's clear people are realizing for a technical meeting, you don't need to travel. You can do that of Zoom. You meet each other every two weeks. You know each other. It's just about exchanging info. But when it's going further about negotiation, about meeting new people, this can't work over Zoom. So it, it will reduce a little bit, but it will not just take everything away. Moving on to a less contentious topic, uh, and that is sort of why Geneva is great. So <laughs> everybody knows Geneva. So you've had a, a long career in Geneva and in Switzerland and different areas of trade, sustainability, as you mentioned, technology, et cetera. What do you think is the role of Switzerland in sort of what they like to call here international Geneva? And, and I guess, if, I don't know if it's too hyperbole to say, but reshaping sort of trade for the future. The, the role Geneva can play is actually to be a kind of neutral platform. I mean, it's not the same thing if you go to New York when you know there is an American government sitting somewhere around who have some interest. Frankly, no one thinks that Switzerland has any interest in a way which would impede on the wishes of everyone. And that's a role we need to continue to play as long as all parties agree to continue in a multilateral way. I think that's more likely the question to be. I mean, we see what's happening now with Ukraine and Russia. We're a little bit troubled to see these multilateral institutions, be it for trade, but also for peace, to really be recognized at the level. So I think we need to continue to work, but we also need to think what's going to be the future of that. I mean, nothing is going to stay the same for the next 50 years. So it's also a need to reanalyze. And you have this initiative called GESTA, which is this incubator for new ideas between science and international multilateral organizations. And I think we need to push also those things. We can bring things to the table which are perhaps more easily acceptable for all parties because we are not a major force in the world and everyone will ask themselves if they propose that, what do they really have in mind? And do you think Switzerland and International Geneva is evolving fast enough because things are accelerating? I mean, so neutrality is good. The Swiss have a, also a reputation for being consultative, making things everybody agrees, everybody has their voice. But is there an issue of evolving fast enough? I think certainly in certain domains, we probably need to evolve faster. In others, we're evolving the right speed. Then it depends also on the readiness of the parties coming here to actually pursue the multilateral movement. We are not a major force of this planet. And we cannot go say, you Americans and you Russians or you Chinese, you come here because you have to discuss something here. And of course, we're not talking about the US. The US is also a neutral. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just because people follow we're, us. We're really nice. And I'm saying us now because it's my American hat on. We're really, really nice folks. We say things nicely. Yeah. yeah no, no reaction from my side. I, mean, <laughs> I think the mic cut. <laughs> so uh, just shifting gears again. So of course, we're really interested in Switzerland. A lot of our listeners are here and in Geneva so that it's an area of interest. We also have a lot of listeners who are early or, in my case, 
mid-ish. Or late in their careers. You've had an incredibly varied career, as you mentioned. So music, IT, aviation. So what has been maybe the secret and what would you advise our listeners who are facing a future when like, they're not sure what the jobs are going to be, they're not even sure where things are going to go, what should they be thinking about? I think, first of all, it's important to recognize we're no more in a time where you decide that 18 what will be the job of your life. It might for some, but it's not going to be the fundamental rule. And what does that mean? It's whatever you're going to do, you have to do it at the highest level possible. So there has to be commitment, interest to understand and so on. And the second thing is a, quiz, a certain openness. I mean, I hear a lot of people saying, oh, I don't want to go there because it's outside of my comfort zone. I mean, when I came to the airport, yes, I was a good user of airlines, but I had no deep clue on what, what this was all about. But then you can turn it around. It was a great learning experience. And, you know, you cannot plan a career like that. It's at the right moment to say, okay, I take this step out with the risk that I might fail. When I quit music, I was playing with the top orchestras in Germany. And many people told me, but you're totally nuts. You're going to go study again in computer science. You might just fail, not get through. And uh, yeah, so it's this openness and it's this continued interest. Even today, I want to learn new things. Otherwise, I get bored. Mm. That's not very Swiss when you think about it. Normally people, I had this conversation this past weekend with somebody who's not Swiss and another Swiss person, and they sort of unanimously agreed that Switzerland is known as sort of risk averse. But to hear you say that, I guess you're an outlier. I don't know. And I'm not sure whether what I do is not being risk averse. Yes, I do think about the risks, but you also have a little bit confidence in yourself that you can actually pull things around. Yeah. Otherwise, what you're going to do, you're just going to repeat what you have done the last 10 years, because at least that you know how to do it. For me, that's too boring. So for me, it's not about being risk averse or not. It's about not being bored. And not being bored means lots of new things regularly to actually challenge my thinking and saying it doesn't work. And you will actually discover through that one the constants which are through everything, which is also an interesting experience I, in my eyes. Yeah, I think that's actually a perfect summation. That's great advice for uh, the younger listeners out there, also the older ones. And actually, the reason we did the podcast, in a way, just to learn, you know, being open to learning to growing and taking, let's say, calculated risks. We thought people would laugh at us. Now they're laughing with us, we think. No, we don't know. We don't have good data on that. So we've got a couple of more scientific questions for you, which go yep. to the expat life. So you said you're part German, part Swiss. So when you moved from where you're from to either Swiss Romande or another place, what did you realize that you didn't know before you left? I mean, the first real experience was when I went to Germany. That was a time where Switzerland was in nothing. So you had to have a work permit and a state permit. And uh, given where we came from, we were with all the little bit crazy nationalities. So I think it's a very good experience to learn what it is to be a foreigner somewhere else. Because it's so easy to be high-nosed, to be dismissive with foreigners if you haven't lived it. So for me, this has helped me to get a much more, how you say, leveled out approach of things. The second thing is to get to appreciate what's nice in Switzerland whilst accepting what's not so nice in Switzerland. It's a little bit like old couples. If you're too long together, you will see only the negative things and no more the good things. By going abroad, you get the new restart of the system and you can again level the good against the bad parts. But for me, it was a unique experience to sit in this foreigner's office in Munich with Turks and all those other nations and to realize I'm a foreigner and they are not totally happy to see me. Yes. It, it, exactly. <laughs> it makes you much more open when you're back in your home country to be a little bit more open towards that. That's kind of how you felt coming from Canton Vaud, Vaud for the American listeners to Geneva, I guess, coming from EPFL to 
Oh, you won't believe what happened. I had some real interesting <laughs> movements where the Vaux people criticized me for certain decisions which I took at the APFL as being a Geneva spy, which is really a joke for a Swiss German living in Geneva. <laughs> but I must admit, even we do suffer sometimes a very localized feelings about who is the right or not. So I think if you've been accused of being a Geneva spy, you've made it. That means you're integrated. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> frankly, I'm not sure. This podcast is not broadcast in Vaux. No, no, we, we, we have, we're actually uh, banned. You can, I mean... It was we're also banned in sheets and we, up and sell. It's actually okay if people think you're a spy. Most of my family thought I was a spy when I told them I worked for the UN for the first five or six years, and then they just sort of realized that... But you weren't. Not, no, wink. That's I'm important winking. clarification. So the last question we have, this is scientific. So you know Geneva, you have a long-term engagement with Geneva, and you know that the national food here, because it's a republic and a canton, is kebab. So what is your favorite kebab in Geneva? And I can give you a hint. It's probably no, Parfum de Beirut. We're cutting that part out. Okay, first, that is not the national food <laughs> Geneva. That's no, we're clear. Now, I'm not saying I do actually eat my kebab from time to time. And it's actually in where I live. It's in Plonliwat because I, I do know the people. I like them. When you get home after that last flight lands, that's the only thing that's open as well in Plonliwat, probably. No, I do it sometimes. On weekends, I go doing sport training. And sometimes I buy myself a kebab coming home from the training. In Plonliwat, okay. Yeah. And can we expect to see a kebab stand in the airport, among the airport restaurants? There is anytime already soon? one. There is one. It's in the food court. Oh. It's the landside part. You actually do have a thing which is called Seven Senses, which actually delivers kebabs. Hey, no. Okay. So I think my next stop will be Geneva Airport. I'm not flying anywhere, though. And you don't have to fly anywhere to get to that one? No. No, this one is landside, meaning you don't need to go through any control. You don't need a ticket and so on. Perfect. Lovely. Excellent. Andre, thanks. So you've been a very thoughtful, persuasive guest as well. So we're glad to have you on and hope you enjoyed the conversation as, as much as we did. Where can people go before we end the interview? Where can people go to find more of what the news coming out of Geneva Airport and what you're doing? I would say there are two options. One is to come to our internet site where you have actually all kinds of chapters where we explain what is our strategy. We do also provide a, a website-based sustainable development report where you really can get the figures, but also the projects we do. But if you want to be a little bit closer, I can only recommend you to come and see the LinkedIn feeds, which we have either for Geneva Airport or mine or from some of my colleagues. And the last thing, if you want to deepen a little bit your knowledge, we have started a blog, which gives you a little bit, how you say, in-depth explanations because it's true. And so I think that could be also quite interesting if you want to deepen your knowledge and understanding what we're doing. Excellent. Andre, thanks once again. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. To you. It was a pleasure. Hope to see you again soon. Thank you very much. So, Artie, that brings us to our next segment. This is where we talk to our correspondent, Michelle, about the vibe shift. And in fact, this week, we have a very special vibe shift. She's going to be presenting it from the field. Michelle, take it away. Hi, guys. I'm at the street parade in Zurich asking people what they think about globalization. Tune in next time when I tell you why only shady people on Reddit want to go to the world's best restaurant. What do you think about globalization? I don't like it. <laughs> globalization, what does that mean? Globalization? Oh, oh God, I don't know. I, I, I have no opinion right now. Good. What the f***? Uh, uh, interesting topic. Um, very. Ask me when I'm sober. Oh, no. 
Voilà. Good night. This brings us to this week in local news. You wouldn't believe this was true unless you lived in Geneva or really anywhere else. So our first story, Artie, is about, you know, we've covered many of these imminent dangers here in Switzerland. We had the snapping turtle, where we had the snapping turtle police. We had the Asian wasps. We had, of course, the beavers who were blocking rivers. I know very well, Rob, because I lived through it, okay? I lived through the beaver crisis of 2023. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now we have an even greater threat and a growing threat. This is the attack of the cows. We have a story of a young family that were walking through an area, as we do. You go through fields, you open the gate, close the gate, there's a bunch of cows there. But in this case, they were attacked by 20 to 25 cows running at them. And, uh, you know, they called for help. Eventually, they had to be helicoptered out of the field and uh, brought to safety. And the guy said they're doing a lot of prevention because the cow attacks are increasing. So I don't know what's, what's your reaction to that, Artie? I think I'm like struggling. I can't decide between making a mad cow disease <laughs> joke or telling, making, inserting like, don't have a cow reference somewhere <laughs> in there. But then also for me, mostly I think this reads like a script for like a James Cameron movie, like reimagining Planet of the Apes, but with cows. Imagine with cows, cows take over the world, they become like super sentient and we're just, imagine they're drinking our milk. They're making cheese yeah. out of our breast milk. That's, that's weird. <laughs> that's I don't know. I'm on a lack of sleep lately, so that's probably yeah. accounts for why that, that sounded the way it did. I think we just pulled a curtain back on something there that we need to close down again. Yeah. <laughs> Control-alt-delete <laughs> on that. This is like the Matrix. The Matrix meets Daisy the Cow. I took two red pills, not just one. <laughs> I took two red pills. Yeah, it's just weird. The fact that they had to get helicoptered for me, like I got into a fight with a mountain and I got helicopters. That was a little bit PTSD. Yeah listening, and reading this article, and also listening to you say it. I don't know that I would need to get help. You could have just like walked down the mountain. Like how far do cows run? Yeah, I'm struggling to believe coming. this is what I'm saying. Coming. There's a related story already, which is another thing. You mentioned climate change, which I know we're all worried about. It's one of the biggest things happening. There's an extremely serious new threat coming from climate change. Tell as me. climate change happens, as it gets a little warmer up in the mountains and the cows are up there for less time, and as the flowers change... So the composition of what they're eating changes. We actually have an imminent threat of the flavor of Swiss cheese changing. So the master cheesemakers are going to have to monitor whether there's a change in the cheese flavor. And particularly I heard a report about the Itiva cheese from the Alps. You know, we hear about a lot of things, but this one's pretty serious. That sound you hear is the silence of nobody caring about this other than the 7 million people in Switzerland. Come on. I mean, you got to. I mean, I care about it. Etivaz is not a bad cheese, but maybe this is why the cows are so angry and they're attacking people. They got, they had like the pink flowers they could eat. Now it's the red flowers and uh, they don't taste as good. I get cranky too when the store runs out of my favorite yogurt. Yeah, exactly. So tune um, in next week to find out if the cows are still attacking people. That's exactly. And uh, when you're out there, look out for the snapping turtles, attacking cows, Asian wasps, and of course, the odd beaver. Insert Jumanji clip. <laughs> Well, folks, that about wraps up episode 51. In this case, not brought to you by the Writers Guild who are striking, but in fact brought to you by everybody's favorite clickbait, AI references, the good aspect of Brexit, in this case, visitors for foreign students, and of course, Switzerland's attacking cows. 
We also want to thank Andre Schneider, CEO of Geneva Airport, for talking with us about making air travel sustainable. Yes, folks, it can be. Where you can get kebabs in Geneva Airport, bringing us a little bit of new insight there and why everybody should change jobs as much as he has. And of course, how to get discounts for your next flight. Wink, wink, we were joking. Or are we? Still winking. We also want to thank our executive producer, Michelle O'Keen, and producer on the street, we should call her, or maybe not, but I'm going to stick with it, and Valentina Saponata for highlighting the vibe shift, as well as helping you produce this and every TS episode. Please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so already to make sure you catch our next episode coming out very, very soon. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Please don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Do it because we will eventually read them and may even read them out here on the next episode. Loved your podcast better than cats. You can also find us on the social media site formerly known as Twitter at Tradesplaining or on Instagram at trade.splaining or email us your questions, comments the old-fashioned way at trade.splaining at gmail.com. Once again, that's trade.splaining at gmail.com. And remember, folks, listen responsibly. Listen responsibly. Just do it. Or just listen. Just listen. Just listen.